Well, good morning, Faithbrook Church. It is so good to be with you, whether you're in person, whether you're checking us out online, or you're watching us later on demand. I want to welcome you. My name is Brendan Brent. I'm the pastor of Student Ministries here, and it is so good to be with you on this beautiful summer Sunday. If this is your first time or your first time in a long time, I would love if you could go into the seat back in front of you if you're in person and pull out a blue connection card. And if you're online or on demand, you can go to faithbrook.church forward slash guest. For every connection card that we receive, we're going to donate to Cross Food Shelf to partner with local missions and as a way to thank you for just checking us out. Well, I just want to take a moment and celebrate with the whole church on what our backpack drive has looked like. Uh, you guys showed up and you showed up in an amazing way. We have over 50 backpacks that are jam-packed with school supplies, ranging from anywhere to elementary to secondary students. And what our outreach director tells me is that we have an abundance of other school supplies that are so desperately needed by teachers and students. And that is an amazing way that you have stepped out in generosity. And I wanna thank you and celebrate the impact that you will have on our local schools. Well, the past two months, I've had the privilege to go to our district kids and teen camps. And let me tell you, it is an amazing time. For kids camp, we brought 11 kids, two youth counselors and two adult counselors. And for teen camp, we brought a record setting 17 teens to go with us out to North Dakota. My wife and I had a blast going to teen camp together. At each camp, our students get a chance to interact with the gospel, go deeper in their relationship with Jesus and to build friends that are in this church and on the district. And I just gotta say, with the rising cost of travel and transportation, it wouldn't be possible without your amazing generosity. And I want to thank you because when you give, you give students the chance to know Christ and to learn about a new and thriving life in Him. And I just wanna thank you so, so much for that. If you are not already giving to Faithbrook and you would like to or feel led to, a very easy way to do this is to go to the Church Center app, go to the Giving tab, and you can select either a one-time or a reoccurring donation that helps us advance our mission and vision in the next generation and beyond. Well, this week, I would love to welcome up our prayer pastor, Peggy Wagner, as she continues our series, Unsung Heroes. Well, he was a king of a vast Persian empire it stretched from India to Ethiopia. And he loved the power and the majesty and all of the beauty of the land and the beauty of his kingdom. And so for 180 days, he invited all the nobles, all the elites, the princes of all the provinces, the military leaders to celebrate with him. And he showed them all that majesty, all that power, all that beauty. And at the end of those 180 days, he had a seven-day festival for all the people in the city of Susa, where his winter palace was. The food was plentiful, the wine flowed freely, and at the end of the week, when they were all satiated and inebriated, he decided there's one more thing of beauty that he hasn't shown them yet. And he called for his queen and asked her to come and parade before the men so he could show off her beauty. Queen Vashti refused to do it. And that enraged the king. He dethroned her. He banished her from the palace. She was done. And that left a vacancy in the royal palace. Well, good morning. For those of you who haven't met me, I'm Pastor Peggy. It's good to be here with you this morning, to see you all here. And for those of you online, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you. You know, 
we're continuing our series of unsung heroes. And so today I want to take you back to the Old Testament. Those of you that know me know I like the Old Testament, and so wouldn't you know I'd find an unsung hero in the Old Testament. You know, we get a little history with it, but you know, one of the things that I really appreciated about our worship this morning was how God kind of works the themes around what we're going to talk about. And that new song that we learned, you know, trust where you lead. I'm going to trust when I can't see. And in our unsung hero today, we're going to see the trust and the leading that God has done in their lives. You know, four years after Queen Vashti was dethroned, the, the king has been out on some military escapades, winning new provinces, and then he ran up against the Greeks and came home in solid defeat. And when he gets home, he decides, I need a new queen. Haven't had a queen for four years, I need a queen. So his servants that work with him decided, well, here's what we'll do. We'll have a Miss Persia pageant. And whoever wins that pageant will be your queen. And you'll get to pick her out. Well, she was a Jewish orphan named Hadassah. Her parents had been, or her ancestors had been uh, exiled to Babylon when King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and Judea. And when King Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon, he allowed everybody that wanted to to go back to Jerusalem. For some reason, Hadassah's ancestors chose to stay in Persia. Well, as these servants went through all the land looking for beautiful women to present to the king, Hadassah stood out to them. And so she was brought to the palace, pampered for a year, and then met the king. And of all the women, Hadassah stood out and found favor with the king. You know her as Queen Esther. And so this Jewish girl who had been orphaned is now the queen of Persia. Quite amazing how God is beginning to work. So there, there are four main characters in this story. The first I've already introduced you to, King Xerxes. He's an absolute monarch. He's the grandson of King Cyrus, the one who conquered Babylon and allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem if they wanted to. The second character we're going to meet is Haman. Now, Haman's the villain in the story, but he's the right-hand man to the king. He's the most powerful official in the land, and he wants everyone to acknowledge his power, to honor him, rise when he walks into the room, bow down if he passes you on the road. That's Haman. His characteristics that drive him are pride, hatred, anger. Not a nice guy. And then we're going to meet Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew. He's a Benjamite. <clears throat> the same tribe as King Saul. And he uh, is the cousin to Esther. And when Esther becomes orphaned, Mordecai adopts her and raises her as his own. He becomes a very wise guide, very wise counsel, provides great leadership to her as she grows up. You know, when Esther is taken to the palace, <clears throat> he counsels her, do not tell anyone that you are a Jew. That you have to keep a secret. And then there's Esther, the orphan raised by Mordecai. 
She learned early in life that Mordecai gave wise counsel, wise advice, wise leadership, and she learned to obey that. And as she walked through life, she looked up to Mordecai. She listened to his guidance. So we have here the Jewish orphan who is now the queen of Persia. And the king loved Esther. Well, in our first scene in the story, we find Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Now, the king's gate is this great open area where all the business transactions take place. Well, that means he must be some kind of an official, an administrative official in the royal palace, or he wouldn't be in that spot. But because he's in that spot, he overhears a couple of the king's servants talking about a plot to kill the king. And he immediately gets word to Esther so she can tell the king. The king does an investigation and he finds that it's true. And so those two men get hung on the gallows. And it's all recorded in the book of the annals of the king, the book of the kingdom. So Mordecai demonstrates here his loyalty. He's loyal to the king, even though he doesn't necessarily have to be. He's a Jew, he's not a Persian. But he's done the right thing. And he doesn't get rewarded for it. You know, what does Jesus tell us that we're supposed to do? We're supposed to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, who want to harm us, and don't expect anything in return. Mordecai did good, received nothing in return. Well, five years after uh, Esther becomes queen, Haman enters the scene, and he becomes the right-hand man to the king. He's above all of the nobles, all of the elites in the land. He's the highest official. He's the big man in town, and he expects to be treated like the big man in town. You know, you bow down to him when he walks by. You stand up when he walks into the room. Well, Mordecai refuses. You see, Mordecai's a Jew. And even though he's still in Persia, he has an unwavering commitment to the covenant between the God of the Jews and the Jews themselves. And in that covenant, he's taught that you don't bow down, you don't worship anyone, anything but Yahweh, our God. And so he is true to that. And as a result, Haman's anger comes out full force towards Mordecai. You know, he, not only does he want to get rid of Mordecai, he wants to annihilate all the Jewish people. That's his ultimate goal. And he's able to manipulate King Xerxes. He meets with him and he says, you know, there's a group of people in your kingdom doesn't tell them who it is. They're scattered, they're separated, not a lot of cohesion, they're not gonna fight back. But their laws are different than your laws, and they don't follow your laws. You see, Haman has kind of indicated that because Mordecai doesn't bow down, none of them are gonna bow down. And he says, I think you need to get rid of all these people in your kingdom. And so the king says, okay, let's do that. And he gives Haman his signet ring. He says, send out an edict to all the provinces in the entire empire and let them know that they're to annihilate all the Jews in their province. 
So Haman picks a date by lot, draws it out of the hat, and sends out the edict that on this day, every Jew in the Persian Empire is to be annihilated. Over and done. Uses the king's signature, and it's out. It's gone. Now, we might not be able to ever imagine that our anger, our rage, would get to the point where we want to annihilate people, where we want to destroy them. But I think we have to be careful that we don't allow seeds of bitterness, um, biased perceptions in our life, selfishness that will put us ahead of everybody else. It's all stuff that will lead to bitterness, anger, hatred. And we want to make sure we avoid that. In fact, Jesus and, and the Apostle Paul and his epistles tell us that we're supposed to show kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. That's what we're called to do. Now again, Mordecai is sitting in the king's gate, and so he hears about this edict. His people are going to be annihilated. And so he begins to mourn, and when you mourned in those days, you put on sackcloth, you put ashes on your head, and you began to wail. And so here's Mordecai in the king's gate, mourning and carrying on and wailing, and Esther hears about it and sends someone out to ask him what's going on and sent him some clothes to put on so that he could be dressed appropriately to come into the palace court so she could talk with him, find out what's going on. Well, Mordecai refused to come. Instead, he, he sent her a message and he says, I want to give you some advice again. I want you to do three things for me. I want you to enter the king's presence. Now in Persia, if you entered the king's presence and the king hadn't summoned you to be there, it was a death sentence. Unless he, you found favor with him and he would extend his scepter to you and invite you in, summon you into his presence. So this advice that Mordecai is giving her could be a death sentence. The second thing he says is, I want you to beg for mercy. Beg for the favor of the king. And the third thing, you need to plead with him for your people. She can now let the king know that she's a Jew. It's for her people that she needs to plead. And sometimes we're asked to do some difficult things by God. You know, are we willing to step up and do what's right? You know, in this case, if Esther keeps silent, her people are doomed. If she keeps silent, she'll be safe for now. So she's got to make a decision between her duty to others and self-preservation. I mean, what would you decide? How would you make that decision? And Mordecai assures her that if she doesn't do this, if she keeps silent, God will find another channel. God will find another way to get it done. He'll find a way. And so he says to her this, and who knows that you have come to royal position for such a time as this? You know, just maybe you've become queen for such a time as this to save your people. This may be your unique opportunity to serve God. See, Mordecai is confident in God's deliverance, but he's not yet confident that it's going to come through Esther. But after a little consideration, Esther says, okay, 
I'll do it under one condition. You have to gather all the Jews in Susa together, and you need to fast for three days. And at the end of those three days, I'll present myself to the king. And if I perish, I perish. What have I got to lose? See, doing the right thing can be dangerous. It can be life-threatening. But Esther minimizes her chance of failure by asking the people to pray and fast for her for three days. Now, her life up to this point has been preparation for this moment, for this time, for such a time as this. Now, why has God put us where he's put us? In our family, in our workplace, in our church, in our school, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our city? You know, what are we being called to do? What are the opportunities that are there for us for such a time as this? You know, we're going to all have our for such a time as this moments. What will we do with them? You know, what if Noah had refused to build a boat? You know, what if Abraham had refused to leave the old country to go to the promised land? You know, what if Moses had refused to lead the people out of Egypt? What if you refuse to do what God has called you to do? What does that impact? See, what Mordecai understood is that God is in charge. He can still orchestrate his plan, and he can orchestrate his plan around me today, but I will lose the opportunity to share in bringing his kingdom to earth if I refuse to do what he's called me to do. In my family, in my neighborhood, in my city, whatever it is that we're called to do, there's a moment of decision that we'll all face. We have to obey the Spirit, do what God is calling us to do. You know, God's purpose may be hanging in the balance, depending on us. You know, Esther would identify herself with the Jewish people if she did this, and she'd bring on the wrath of Haman against her. You know, are we willing to identify with God's people. Even when it's tough, even when the decision is an awful hard one to make, are we willing to expose ourselves as being a part of God's people? You know, what purpose does God have for me, and am I willing to carry it out? You know, so what have I got to lose? Well, in this day and age, you might say I could be canceled. You know, you might say that if I talk too long, too loud, too often, I could lose my job. My family might suffer as a result. You know, we're up against a whole lot of things that the enemy throws our way. Difficult decisions and the consequences can be huge. How do we decide to make some of those life-changing decisions in our life? You know, when I act in God's plan, when I follow the leadership of the Spirit in my life, I'm a part of actually bringing his kingdom to earth. And we may be the only person that can influence a situation for God. We may be the only person who will come in contact with someone who is seeking God in their life. You know, for such a time as this, does not depend on me making a right decision to be in the right place at the right time. It requires me being open to being led by the Spirit. 
and he'll place the opportunities in front of us. You know, a few years ago, I was in Argentina on a mission trip with the Jesus Film. And we'd spent 10 days in Argentina showing the Jesus Film everywhere. We even planted a new church. And it was a great opportunity, a great experience. And when we flew back in, we flew through Atlanta. That's where we had to come in through customs. And those of you that have traveled internationally know that when you come in through customs, if that's not your final destination, you have to go find your luggage, take it across the room and deposit it to be recycled into the domestic flights. But then you have to go up and you have to go back through security before you get onto the domestic concourses. Well, there were about four or five of us that had come in together from our Jesus film trip to Argentina, and we're standing in the security line talking about all the experiences, how great it was to be able to share Jesus with people. And this lady in front of us turned around and said, who are you people, and what are you talking about? So we were able to share with her what we'd just been doing for the last week and a half, and she got tears in her eyes, and she said, you know... I've been trying to find someone who could tell me about Jesus. For such a time as this, I didn't decide to get in line behind that lady. I didn't decide to be there at the right place at the right time. God orchestrated it all around us. And when we got through that line, got through security, on a concourse in the Atlanta airport, Marcy accepted Jesus as her savior. And so today in Dallas, there's a young businesswoman named Marcy who loves Jesus. For such a time as this, it's about being available, being willing to step into the opportunities that God places in front of us. Well, the big day comes for Esther. She walks into the king's court, not knowing if this is the last step she's going to take. And the king sees her out of the corner of his eye, back in the corner where she's not supposed to be. And he looks her in the eye, he picks up his scepter, and he stretches it towards her and invites her in. And when she comes in, he says, okay, Esther, what, what's your request? I'll give you half my kingdom. I think this guy liked Esther a little bit. Well, she doesn't accept his offer. She doesn't ask for anything extravagant. She says, I want to put on a banquet tomorrow night for you. Would you come? And the king accepts. And then she says, and would you bring Haman with you? Okay, we could do that. That's not a problem. And so Haman is beginning to gloat. This is a big deal for him. He's been invited to a banquet by the king and queen. He's going to sit down with them all by himself and have dinner together. And the once the dinner was over and they are all well fed and relaxed, the king says, okay, Esther, what is it that you request? Well, she delays it for another day. She said, I want you to come to another banquet tomorrow night. Bring Haman with you. We'll do this again. Now, did she lose her courage in that moment? Did she just not know what to say or how to go about it? Or was she being strategic? No reason for the delay other than God was orchestrating things in the background. Because you see, in that meantime, in those 24 hours, some things happened that only God could be orchestrating. Haman gloats about the invite, but he's still raging over Mordecai. 
And on the way home, he walks by Mordecai, who doesn't bow down, doesn't honor him, doesn't show him the respect that he thinks he deserves. And when he gets home, he says to his wife, but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. All this, his powerful position, his invites to the banquet, all the stuff that demonstrates his position of authority. But sometimes the one thing I can't have becomes the only thing that will satisfy. And Haman is in that spot. Well, his wife has some advice for him. She says, Haman, you know, if somebody offends you, you hang them. Well, Haman's thinking that's a pretty good idea. I'm going to get rid of Mordecai. So he goes out and he builds this huge, huge gallows. He's going to hang Mordecai on that gallows. Now, not everyone is going to give us good counsel and advice. We need to be careful who we seek advice from. So who do you seek out for advice? For advice? Now, we need to look for Mordecai's in our life. Those people who will give us wisdom, a righteous perspective, who will speak the truth to us, but give us good guidance. You know, Mordecai in this story can represent the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, in the book of Esther, God is never mentioned. But you can see his finger at work throughout the entire book. But the work of the Holy Spirit giving wise counsel is seen in the guidance of Mordecai to Esther. You know, who are we listening to in our lives? You know, let's not find Haman's wife who's going to lead us towards revenge, um, bring out our anger, interested only in me. But let's seek out the Mordecai's who are going to speak truth, speak with wisdom, lead us in a righteous pathway. You know, and in all the noise around us, we can hear a multitude of voices. Which ones do we need to learn to listen to? How do we differentiate when it's the Spirit speaking into our life? Well, I would tell you I would stay in the Word, and if the advice you're getting is contrary to what the Scripture is telling you, you're not listening to the voice of the Spirit. Pray consistently. Open up those communication channels with God. Be able to recognize his voice because you're in the word and you're praying on a regular basis. Align yourself with other believers who follow after Christ, who want to know more about him, who are going to be led by the Spirit. Find a mentor, a Mordecai, who will walk alongside you and give you sound advice. Now, another thing that happens in the meantime, the king can't sleep. And so he has his servants bring him the annals of the king, the books of the kingdom, and read them to him. Now, if I couldn't sleep, that would be a good thing to put me to sleep, reading through the annals of the kingdom. But instead, we have some coincidences, some it just so happens that occur during that night. Well, and it just so happens that the king turns to the spot in the annals where Mordecai revealed the plot to have him killed. And it just so happens that the king notices that Mordecai has never been rewarded for his loyalty. And in Persian culture, loyalty has to be rewarded. And so he's talking to his servants. 
What reward should we give this man who is to be honored, is so deserving of honor for his loyalty? Well, it just so happens that Haman walked into the court and began to overhear this conversation. And the king sees him and says, Haman, what would you suggest that we do for someone who is so deserving of honor because of his loyalty? Well, you know who Haman thinks they're talking about. And he says, I would put him on the king's horse, put the king's robe on him, march him throughout the entire city, and tell people to give him honor. King likes that idea and says, okay, Haman, you're the one. You're going to lead Mordecai through this city while all the people give him honor. You know, in our lives, God is always working in the background. You know, we may not see him, we may not sense him, but he's at work orchestrating out his plan for our lives if we allow him to. You know, I can look back over my life, and many of you probably can as well, and I can see times when I didn't think God was in it. But boy, but for God, the decisions I might have made that I didn't make, you know, from a distance we can see the work of God in our lives. We can't always see it up front in the moment. You know, I can look back over my life and I can see times when I was going through some really tough times and I couldn't believe that God would ever be present in it. But as I look back now, I see the lessons I learned. I see the path that he took me on that was much better than the path I would have chosen. And I know that those lessons I learned I can use to help other people today. You know, it's from a distance that we can see that God is in it. And here in this Persian empire, in this pagan culture, God is working through Mordecai. Nothing is going to derail his plan. Mordecai continues to be that humble man working in the background, giving good advice. Humble servant of God. You know, and how many Mordecais do you know? How many humble Mordecais live in quiet service all around us? They're not looking for reward. They're not looking for recognition. They're just looking for ways to serve God in any way he leads them. And I would bet we've got some Mordecais in this room today. I would bet we've got some Mordecais watching live online today. How do we honor them? What do we do for them? You know, in Matthew 23, verse 12, it says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, Haman is not so elated anymore. He's not feeling so exalted anymore as he comes to that second banquet. And again, the king asks Esther, what's your request? Now is the right time. She gathers her courage and she gives her request. Spare my life. Spare my people. We have been sold for destruction, death, and annihilation. Reveals the plot to the king. And he says, who did this? And she looks at Haman. It says, Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Well, the king understands his role in this plot. It suddenly dawns on him that he has been duped into ordering the destruction of a people that includes his queen. And he is enraged. 
and he has Haman hung on the gallows that were built for Mordecai. You know, Mordecai is elevated to a position that was even higher than Haman's in the kingdom. A reversal of fortunes. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, there's a theologian named Elaine Bernius, and she says this. Lives lived in rebellion to God will receive his punishment. Lives lived in obedience to God will receive his deliverance. But wait, what about that edict? It's still out there. And in the Persian culture, when the king issues an edict, it cannot be rescinded. You have to follow through with it. Nothing can be done. The king is devastated. The role that he's played in ordering the annihilation of the Jews. He can't believe he did it. His queen is going to be annihilated right in front of him on that day. But Mordecai, the wise man working in the background, quiet behind the scenes, says there's a solution to this. I know that that edict can't be rescinded, but there's nothing to stop you from sending another edict. And in that edict, you simply allow the Jews to fight back when they're attacked. Well, the king hadn't thought about that, and he thinks that this is a pretty good idea. So he gives Mordecai his signet ring and says, send out the edict. Mordecai sends it out under the king's signature that on that day when you are attacked, defend yourselves, fight back. And so when that day came, day of destruction is there, the Jews are attacked, they fight back, and they win a victory. What was meant for destruction ends in victory. See, God, God's plan of salvation was to bless the whole world through the Jews. Way back in Genesis, he told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sands on the sea, and I'm going to bless the nations through your descendants. The promise has been made. There's a bridge that the Jews make between God and the nations. And throughout history, God has stepped in when others have just tried to destroy them. And it's through them, the chosen people of God, the Jews, that we get Jesus. Jesus, the one who built the bridge. Jesus, the one who blessed the nations. Jesus, the one who died that we would have eternal life, salvation. Jesus, the one who, when he left this earth, left us the Holy Spirit to give us guidance, wise counsel, wise advice. You know, even though Esther is the one out front, stepping up courageously, following the challenge that's given to her, Mordecai is the quiet man behind the scenes giving wise counsel and wise advice. You know, Mordecai is our unsung hero. You know, Mordecai knew that God didn't need Esther to carry out his sovereign plan. He'd find an alternative if he needed to. But God invites Esther to join with him in his work, to trust him, to do something courageous. And he extends that invitation to us as well, to step up, to do something courageous. And we know that when he extends us that invitation, we don't have to do it in our own strength, that he'll be there in his strength to help us do it. 
You know, the fight against evil in our world is real. Just turn on your television set some night. We are up against a lot of evil. And today, we have our battles to fight. We win some, we lose some, but we know that the war has been won. And we should rejoice in that. And just as Haman sought to destroy the Jews, there are people in our world today that are seeking to, to destroy the people of God. And we're here in this generation for such a time as this. What's our role? What will we do with the opportunities that God puts in front of us? He's at work in our lives. He's at work in every situation that we're in. Maybe it's behind the scenes and we don't sense it as much as we should, but we know that he cares for his people. And just as Esther submitted to the wise guidance and leadership of Mordecai, we submit to the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, find a Mordecai. Be a Mordecai. You know, for those of you who are younger, you might be students, young adults, new parents, newlyweds, you know, finding your way in the world with your first job, find a Mordecai. You know, do you have someone in your life who can give you wise counsel, who you can go to for wise advice? Find a Mordecai. Let that person walk with you through life. For those of you who are older, or I should say maybe more experienced, you've got a little life behind you, who are you being a Mordecai to? Have you found someone that you could counsel, that you can give wise guidance to, that you can walk alongside, help them answer the deeper questions of life? You know, we can all be an Esther that seeks the wisdom of a Mordecai. And we can all be a Mordecai who's keeping touch with the Spirit and giving advice to those that are coming behind us, to that next generation. You know, we're placed right where we are for such a time as this. You know, we, will we be the vessel, the person that God uses to help bring his kingdom to earth? to help other people find Jesus, to walk a life headed towards eternity so that they might have eternal life. You know, sometimes it requires us to stand up for what's right when it's really difficult. You know, for some it might mean a loss of honor, a loss of reputation. You know, around the world, in some places it means a loss of life. But are we willing to step up you know, as God's people, we are called to make this world a better place, to bring Jesus to the nations, to bring him to the lives of those around us. You know, it, it's his will and his desire that each one of his followers walk with him and bring about his kingdom. Are you ready to step up for your such a time as this? Let's stand and... I'll pray with us as we close. Father, we come this morning just to thank you for who you are. Thank you that you love us the way you love us. That you guide us. And Jesus, I just thank you that you left the Spirit. And that that Spirit can be so in tune with us. That we can have an open line of communication that we can look for guidance, counsel. 
And would you help us as we walk out into the world today to be the vessel that you can use for such a time as this. Be with each one of us as we go today. Bless us richly. Help us to find the opportunities around us to serve you, to introduce you to someone who's seeking you today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.